Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study will be coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'll be teaching from the NI version. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you yet again for another opportunity to come into your presence to study your word. Lord, it is my prayer that you open every ear to hear and every heart to receive all that it is that you would have for us to receive. And dear God, I will be so careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise because I recognize that it all belongs to you. And so it is in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his, of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the, the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his char chariots and, his, and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. 
The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. So endeth the reading. As we examine this evening's text according to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find the elders of Israel gathered together at Ramah to make a request of Samuel. We also will see the the reason given for this request and the response to this request. So look with me in chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. It says, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And then they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And so here we have in verse five, we see what their request is. And their request is they want for Samuel to appoint a king to lead them like the other nations have. The surrounding nations are being ruled by monarchy. Um, Up until this point, Israel is being ruled by judges but they no longer want this, they want a king. And so the reason that they are given for this request, they first said that the first reason they say is because Samuel is old. And the second reason is because his sons do not follow his ways. In other ways, his sons are corrupt. If we look at verse three, it talks about how they um, didn't follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted judges. This sounds similar to that of the two sons of Eli that we have um, studied in previous chapters where the high priest Eli had two sons who were in leadership roles. They were priests who were corrupt. They were mishandling God's offering and sacrifice. They were taking portions of the sacrifice that didn't belong to them. And so here we have uh, the prophet Samuel. He had placed his sons in leadership roles, but they did not follow after his way. In fact, they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And so again, all the elders have gathered together. They came to Samuel and they said, We want a king, and this is why. You are old. Your sons don't follow your way. And so let's deal with the first reason. They say, you are old, Samuel. We are talking about Samuel, the one who has been faithful to Israel, the one who um, had favor with Israel and God. This is the same Samuel that the Lord was with him, and um, he didn't let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground, meaning that whatever Samuel prophesied, whatever he said, was truth. This is the same Samuel that um, years ago led them into revival after they had turned away from God and they were worshiping other gods. They had been also attacked by the Philistine, which was a constant enemy of theirs, and they would always make war with them. They would always be constantly attacking them. The Philistines would always be successful. They would always win. The Israelites would always be devastated by this constant um, enemy. And so it was Samuel who led them into revival. And while they he was leading them into revival, he also interceded on their behalf because as they were going through the process of revival, 
as the prophet Samuel was giving them steps on how to return back to the Lord and what they needed to do to um, to get back in the good graces of God, meaning that they needed to return fully and commit to God. And they also needed to get rid of the foreign gods that they were worshiping, that they had in their possession. And so as Samuel, this Samuel, um, as he is leading them through revival, the their constant enemy, the Philistines, um, had come up to attack them. Samuel um, was interceding to God on their behalf. He was crying out to God on their behalf. They had asked Samuel to cry out to God because they knew that they were in trouble with this enemy. And so Samuel did that. He interceded on their behalf. He cried out and God answered. And in God's answer, God fought on behalf of the Israelites. He ended up fighting um, the Philistines on behalf of the Israel and he used the method of thunder and that method caused panic for the uh, Philistines which caused them to be routed in other words God sent them back the way that they were that they had came and in doing so this allowed the Israelites to chase after them and slaughter them and gain the victory so this is the same same the same Samuel that they're saying is oh this is the same Samuel that has been faithful to Israel who now the elders of Israel are saying we they are basically saying we have no we no longer have any use for you we no, we don't have any use for your sons we want a king now I can understand how they could possibly um, say that uh, that they don't want the sons because the sons were operating they were corrupt but why would they discard want to discard someone who has helped them who has interceded on their behalf someone who has been faithful to them but now that he has gotten up in age now that he has gotten old they no longer have any use for him again one who has been beneficial one who has went to back for them one who has been faithful they no longer have any use for and they are ready to discard him and they want something new they want a king this is new they had never had a king before but they are looking at all the other nations. They are influenced by the nations around them. And this isn't the first time that they've been influenced by the nations before. Again, if we look back in chapter 7, we see that in um, as Samuel is leading them back into war, uh, into, uh, is, he's leading them to return back to God. And he's leading them in a time of a revival. The first thing that he tells them that they need to do in order to get back in right standing with God is he says they need to rid themselves. They need to get rid of some things. They needed to rid themselves of foreign gods. So they had been worshiping foreign gods, those gods of the nations around them, God with the lowercase g. They were worshiping idols. So again, this isn't the first time that they have been influenced by the nations around them, but here they're taking things a step further. Now, not only did they were they interested in worshiping their God or engaged in idol worship, they are now wanting a king. And so just like Samuel, there's times in our lives where there's people that we have helped, whether we have mentored people, whether um, you have been a pastor and you've pastored people, any type of role that you have played in someone's life where you have been beneficial, it comes to a point, there are times there, it comes to a point where people, because of perhaps like Samuel, your age, you have gotten older, or perhaps you have um, perhaps gained weight, whatever the case may be, where someone feels like they no longer have, a, have use for you, they are quick to discard you in order to pick up something new. They say, you're old, Samuel. 
weeks because we want this king because you you are old. How many of us has been victims in a situation where, again, you have helped someone, you have mentored someone, and then they get to a, that person gets to a point to where they no longer have any use for you. They've gotten what they feel like they've gotten all that they can get for you, and then they throw you away because of your age, whether it be a job position. Many people get rid of people after they get to a certain age because they have no, they no longer have any, they feel like they have no longer, they feel like they have no use for that person any longer and they need to get someone younger for that uh, position. Or perhaps within a marriage where a spouse wants to get rid of another spouse because they feel like they no longer have use for them. They want to trade in the old for a new. Or perhaps that particular spouse has has gained weight or have endured some health issues, have some long-term health issues and they're tired of dealing with that and they feel like that person no longer serves a purpose. They, they no longer have a use for them so then they, they want to trade in for trade them in for someone else. Or a church, when a pastor gets to a certain age, they want to get rid of the pastor and they want to bring something new in. They say, we want a new king. We want a king because you are old. And not only that, you know, they say because your sons are corrupt. And again, I get it. Sometimes we want to get rid of people in leadership because of some of the things that they're dabbling in, you know, or they're operating in corrupt behavior. But what they could have done, instead of saying we want to get rid of you and your sons and have a king, why couldn't they? Because Samuel never displayed any um, bad behavior. They had no reason to believe that he was corrupt in any way. Why couldn't they just say, well, you know what, Samuel, can you deal with your sons? Your sons have been doing X, Y, and Z. They have um, gone after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes. They're perverting justice. And why didn't they give him an opportunity to deal with his sons and perhaps to remove them from leadership and put someone else in leadership? But instead of doing that, they said, nope, we want something else. Our um, neighboring nations got a king. We want a king. We want something new. We're tired of the old system. We want a new system. We want to be like everybody else. But when they said this, when they said, give us a king, I'm in verse 6. Verse 6 says that this displeased Samuel. Samuel displeased him, meaning that he didn't like this request. He disapproved of this request. He was perhaps offended by this request. But notice what Samuel does and does not do. Let's deal with the does not. Notice that even though he is displeased, he doesn't like what is being requested, he doesn't argue with them. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't bring up all the list of things that how he has been beneficial to Israel. He doesn't throw that up in their face. He doesn't try to change their mind. He doesn't try to talk them out of it. Although he is displeased, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't get, he doesn't blow up on them. He doesn't cuss them out. He, didn't, he doesn't tell them about themselves. He doesn't try to go get a, a group of supporters to change their mind or to go up against them. Samuel is known as a man of prayer. So although he was displeased by this request, his posture was not a posture of confrontation. His posture was a posture of prayer. We can learn a lot from this example. Anytime that we are dealing with something, a request that brings us displeasure or dealing with something that we do not like, 
or something that has offended us, we don't we don't have to argue about it. We don't have to go round. We don't have to go round for round with the person. We don't have to read our resume off to the person of what we have done for them. We don't have to try to defend ourselves. What we can do is we can follow Samuel's example and we can pray. We can go to God. Samuel chose to go to God. And in the same way, when we are met with a request that we are not feeling and we feeling some type of way about, again, we don't have to argue about it. We don't have to um, go off about it. We don't have to cuss anybody out. We don't have to try to prove our point. We don't have to, again, we don't have to pull out our resume and go all the way down the line about how we have been good to that person and how we have for years have did our best to mentor and, and lead them in the right direction. We don't have to do that. We don't have to tell them how much money we spent on them. We don't have to talk about how much time we invested in them. All we need to do is we need to take the posture of Samuel and we need to pray. We need to go to God in prayer. And so he does just that. Samuel, he, although displeased, he prayed to the Lord. And here in verse 7, and the Lord told him. And so he told in his time of prayer, the Lord speaks. He tells him, he tells Samuel, he says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. That's what he tells him first. He tells him to listen. And then he goes on. He says something very interesting. He tells him that it is not you they have rejected. I'm in verse seven, but they have rejected me as their king. And so the very thing that the Lord is saying is he's telling Samuel that he says they're not rejecting you. And him telling Samuel, God telling Samuel that they're not rejecting him, but rejecting God is an indication that Samuel, perhaps Samuel was feeling rejected. Again, they said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow the way that you do. And so here God is telling him, he's telling him, he's saying, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king. And so this allows us to see that sometimes, even though there's been there's going to be times where you are going to um, people are going to reject you straight out rejected. They're not going to like you. They're going they're not going to invite you into their cliques. They're not going to invite you to sit at the table. They're going to close doors. They're not going to they're going to reject you. They're not going to want to be bothered with you. They're not going to again, they're going to you're going to experience some legit rejection. But there are some instances like Samuel has here. There's going to be some instances that although we may feel rejected, we'll have the feelings of rejected rejection. But truly what is really happening there is it's not you that is being rejected, but that of God that is being rejected. For instance, if you if God has placed you in a particular position, whether it be on a job uh, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a marriage, maybe, you know, if he has placed you in a particular role, um, whatever that position or role is, if he has placed you there and for whatever reason, the person feels like you no longer, they no longer have a use for you and they want something else other than what the Lord has placed in that position or in that role. And they, they tell you that they want something else. Like, if, for instance, if a church, a pastor has been placed in a particular church and he's doing, you know, all the things that he's supposed to be doing and there's no corruption within him. You know, he's not doing anything that can cause him to fall on the um, wrong side of God. 
he's placed there and God has placed him there for a reason. And then because the people of the church are looking at what's going on around them in other churches and they want to do something different and they want to um, remove the older pastor and replace him with something new. They're not rejecting that pastor. What God is saying is he's saying that there's times where the re even though you might be feeling, having the feelings of rejection, but it's not them, it's not you that they are rejecting, but it is God because he is the one that placed you in that position. Even within marriages, if the, if the Lord has placed you in a particular role to serve in a particular role, whether it be marriage or on a job or whatever the case may be, whatever role that is, and the person who you were placed to serve decides that they want something different, although you can feel rejection, you can have those feelings of rejection, that doesn't mean that they are actually rejecting you, but in fact, what they are doing is they are rejecting God. And so here, the people, the elders of Israel who are gathered around Samuel, Although they're saying it's because you're old and your sons are not following your ways. God is saying to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, but they are rejecting me as their king. And then he goes on to say, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. And so not only is he telling Samuel that it's not you that's being rejected, but me. But he's also telling them they've been doing this. This has been a trend of theirs. Ever since I delivered them out of Egypt. Until this day, they have been forsaking me and serving other gods. This is not new. This behavior has been happening. So Samuel, don't get caught up in this. Don't think it's about you because it's not about you. It's about me. They're rejecting me as their king. They've been doing it from the time that I delivered them out of bondage from under the hand of the oppressor, Pharaoh. They've been forsaken me. Even when I carried them through the wilderness and provided for them, I provided, miraculously provided water. I fed them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. And they constantly, constantly have this trend where they're constantly forsaking me and serving other gods. And even though I brought them into the land that I described as milk and honey, the promised land, they allowed them, I led them to conquer Canaan and where they occupy, where they possess this new land that I have given, this promise that I have given them, they still wasn't satisfied. They still wasn't satisfied or, or either embrace me as their king. They still wanted something else. They still went after foreign gods. They continue to forsake me. And so he tells them again, they reject, they're rejecting me. This has nothing to do with you. And someone under the sound of my voice needs to hear this this evening. That rejection that you are experiencing, that rejection is not about you. That rejection is about God. And so again, he tells them, you know, he tells Samuel, this has been going on for years. This has been going on. This is a trend. So again, they have been doing this. God has been their king and he's been faithful. Even in those times when they have forsaken him and they have ran after other gods, God has continued to be faithful. The only time that they suffered um, at the hands of their enemy is when they have wandered away from God, when they have rejected God. But God, even, uh, even when they found themselves serving a consequence where they are being oppressed by the enemy because of their decisions to wander away from God, to serve other gods, the gods with the lowercase g, to um, worship other idol gods, 
God always, in their suffering, when he heard their prayers, he would always send a deliverer. He was always sending help for them. He was always sending relief for them. He was always faithful. He was still their God. Even he was still their king, even when they didn't recognize it or even when they didn't embrace it or even when they wandered away from it. He still was and is their king. And so he tells Samuel, he says, now listen to them. I'm in verse nine. He said, but not only listen to them, he also says something very interesting here. He tells them, he says, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. So, wow. Even though they are rejecting God as king, he still sends a warning. He knows that this request of theirs, he knows that it's going to cost them something. There's going to be some burden attached to this request. He sends a warning. And anytime God warns us of something, it is an opportunity for us to turn. It's an opportunity for us to abort the request, abort the path that we are taking. He, in his grace and mercy, because he doesn't have to do it, but in his grace and mercy, because he loves us and because he's faithful to us, he sends a warning. So he sends Israel a warning. He says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He goes down the list. He tells them he will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And it says they will run in front of his chariots. He says some of them he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of 50, meaning that he's going to cause them to be in his military. He's going to take their sons and their sons to be in the military. And he says others, he's going to cause them to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Wow, look at that. I'm going to take your sons and I want them. They're going to do all the work. They're going to plow my ground and they're going to reap my harvest. Not reap for themselves. They're going to reap it for me. So they're going to do the work. And then what they are, are plowing my ground, the work that they are putting into my ground, when the fruits of their labor comes up, when it manifests, it's, it doesn't belong to them. They're doing this for me. So they're going to plow my ground and they're going to reap my harvest. And still others that he said for other uh, the others of your um, and your other sons, they will uh, make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Then he goes on and talks about the daughters. He said he's going to take them. There's going to be I'm going to take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. Then he says he's going to take the best of their fields and vineyards, olive groves, and give them to his attendants. He's going to take a tenth of their grain and of their vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female service and the best of your cattle and donkey he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and your and you yourselves will become his slaves. Wow. So God is warning them. He's saying this is not... In other words, he's saying this is not what you want. You don't you do not realize what you are signing up for. He's saying he's warning them. He's saying this king that you're asking for this request, this this thing that you want so bad, this thing that you are seeking after this new thing that you want. It's not going to be what you think it's, it's going to come with a burden. Again, what is trending in these verses about this king is what's what's trending is the very fact that he's going to take, take, 
take. We see all this, I'm going to take your sons. I'm going to take your daughters. I'm going to take the best of your fields. I'm going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take, take, take. And, and notice he says sons and daughters. Sons and daughters represent the future. So what he's saying is he says he's going to take your future. And not only is he going to take your future, but he's going to he's going to take the best of your vineyards and your field. He's going to take your the best of your vineyards, your olive groves and your um, fields. He's going to take the very best. He's going to pick and choose what he wants and he's going to take the very best and leave you with whatever's left. And not only that, he's going to take a tenth of your grain. That means he's going to hit you in your pocketbook. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take a tenth of your flocks. He's going to he's going to take your male and female service and he's going to take the best of your cattle and donkeys. So, again, he's going to take their future is going to be affected. Their money is going to be affected. It's going to it's going to cause them not to be able to really prosper because he's taking the best of what they got and he's leaving with with the rest. And so what are some of those things that we are asking God for or some of those things that we are seeking God for and we are being warned by God? Red flags are going up everywhere trying to warn us from moving forward in those things that we just got to have. I want, again, Israel wants a king. But with that want of a king comes a heavy burden. It comes with a price. And so we like Israel, what is it that we are asking God for? What is it that we are seeking after? What is it that we just, we are, we are in desperate want of? What is it that we see um, other people have in their lives that we want for our lives? What is it that we want so bad that we haven't even considered the burden that comes with that? Again, Israel wanted a king. They wanted, they wanted what the other nations have. God was their king. They rejected God as their king. They wanted a human king. They wanted to have a visible king. But here God is warning them, this is going to come with a burden. This is not what you want. Again, their future was going to be affected by it. Their finances was going to be affected by it. They were not going to be able to prosper because the king was going to take the best of everything that they have. And so he also tells them, Let's look at um, verse 18. He says, and when that day comes, when they got this king and he does all this stuff, he takes from them. He said, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. Again, he's reminding them, he's warning them. This is not what you want. You may want it now, but you're going to cry later. You're going to cry out for relief from this very thing that you desperately got to have. You just want it. I just, I want it. I want it. I want a king. Israel wants a king, but he's saying the very king that you're asking for, you're going to cry later and you're going to cry out for relief. And when somebody cries out for relief, that means there has, there is a heavy burden. There is a load on them that they cannot take. When you need relief, that means you going through it. So God is saying, if you want whatever, if you want this king, be prepared. You're going to go through it. In verse 19, let's look at verse 19. After Samuel tells them this is what the king who will reign over you will do, whatever. And then the people responds and they said in verse 19, it says, but the people refuse to listen to Samuel. They say, no, we want a king over us. Now, 
before we judge them, before we judge them, many of us have been in the same situation. We either have been in the situation where we've experienced this, where we've asked for, you know, we have moved forward in something and we have seen the warning signs. We have heard the warning. We have seen the red flags, but we, because we want something so bad, we do it anyway. We say, nope, we don't yield to the warning. We override the warning and we move forward. So before we judge them, some of us, we ain't no different. Yeah, it looks a shame. After all this stuff that this list that um, Samuel went through, you would think that they'd be like, oh, never mind. I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. That's all right. Forget that I even asked for that. But no, they do what many of us have done or many of us are currently doing where we heard the warning. We seen the red flags and we still want what we want. We still want what we want. We've heard the red. We've heard the warning. Don't fool with him. He's an abuser. He hit the last girl, but we want what we want. Don't marry her. She ain't, she ain't good. Don't marry her. She cheats, but we still want what we want. Don't fool with her. Don't fool with him. They have a history of drug use, but we want what we want. Don't take that job. It's going to require you to work some late nights and it's going to um, be, a, there's going to cause a strain on your marriage, but we want what we want because the money is good. Don't work for that employer. They've been known to operate in corruption. It's going to cause you to um, be tied up in some legal issues with the courts. The money looks good. We want what we want. Don't buy that car. You're going to get in over your head. You're going to have so many. You're going, you ain't going to be able to um, go on vacation. You're going to be living paycheck to paycheck. We want what we want. Don't buy that house. In about five years, things going to be falling apart in that house. The red flags. We want what we want. We override and we want what we want. Don't go to that doctor. That doctor has been known to mess people up. We want what we want. Don't do those drugs. Have you seen what it done to other people? We want what we want. And so here, the people of Israel, after they seen the list of all the things that was gonna happen with this king, all these negative things that's gonna happen with the king, they refuse to listen, just like many of us. We refuse to listen. We refuse to yield to the warning. And they say, no, we want a king over us. And then if we look at verse 20, we see the truth emerge. So in verse 5, they says the reason that they wanted a king, they said it was because Samuel was old and his sons didn't follow the way. But the truth is, in verse 20, it says, we want a king over us. And then in verse 20, it says, then we will be like all the nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. So they want a king. The truth is, yeah, they gave other reasons, but those were excuses. But the truth is they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. So what is our reason for wanting what we want? Are we looking at around at other people's lives and desiring what they have? Do we get into that field because we want the money that somebody else has? Do we desire to get married because our friends have gotten married? Do we desire to take that job because someone else worked there before and they were successful? Again, they, the truth was, they wanted to be like other nations. We as followers of Christ should never look at the world and want to be like the world. We should never look around at the things of the world 
and allow the world to influence us. We should be influencing the world to be like us. But oftentimes, many Christians are looking to, are being influenced by the world. Be influenced by the world. We should be the ones doing the influence and not them, us. And see, the problem with Israel is they had taken their focus off God and they started looking at what was going on around them. And if you look long enough, whatever you're staring at, whatever you're gauging, gazing at, whatever you have put your focus on, you're going to start desiring. If you keep looking long enough, you're going to want her. You keep looking long enough, you're going to want him. You keep looking long enough, you're going to want that. You're going to desire that. And then you're going to discard the fact of who God is in your life. God is, and God was their king, and he still is their king, even if they don't want to recognize it, or even if they don't embrace it. It still doesn't change the fact that he is God. He is the king. No matter what we think about it, no matter if we can think he is God, he ain't God, he is king, he is not king, he's Lord, he's not Lord, it doesn't matter what we think. Because whatever we think, it doesn't matter because he will always be who he is. And he is God. He is the one and true living God. It doesn't matter if we believe it or not. He's still God. It doesn't change it one iota. It doesn't change it. He is still God. And so they say we want him to, we want a king like all the other nations. A king, they talk about, they say a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Did they forget? It was God who got them the victory the last time that they fought the Philistines. It was God who routed the, uh, the Philistines. It was God who helped them get the victory. It was God that caused them to have peace up until this point. It was God who caused them to have peace with their enemies. He was protecting them. He was their king. And so here they say, we want a king to go out before us and fight our battles. Did you forget? But there, that's true for some of us. Some of us, sometimes we forget what God, how God has served in our life. And we want the very thing that God is already doing in our life. We're seeking it from something else or someone else. And so in 21, it says, when Samuel heard all that the people had said, again, he had reported back to the people what this king was going to do, what it was going to be about. And then when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. Again, Samuel delivered the warning. And even though they did not yield to the warning. Notice Samuel's response. Samuel didn't try to convince them. He, he didn't try to, he didn't get mad at them. He didn't say, what are y'all, are y'all crazy? Do y'all really know what's get ready to happen to y'all? He didn't do any of that. Samuel responded, he, he repeated what they had said to the Lord. And again, we can learn from the example of Samuel. Again, in verse six, he prayed when he, um, when they requested a king, he prayed. He didn't, you know, try to argue with them. He didn't try to convince them. He didn't read them the resume. He didn't throw up in their face on how he helped them. And here, when they rejected, when they didn't, when they refused to listen to him, he didn't get bent out of shape. He didn't tell them they was stupid and tell them they was going to end up jacked up or any of that. He simply repeated what they said to the Lord. And then in verse 22, it says, the Lord answered by saying to him, he says, listen to them and give them a king. Again, they requested a king. God warned them of the burden that this king would have, uh, that they would endure um, because of this king. They didn't want to yield to the red flags. They didn't want to yield to the warning. They said, we want what we want. 
And we want to king. It doesn't matter what you say, Lord. I don't care about the warnings that you're giving. I want what I want. I want a king like everybody else. You got to be careful what you're asking for. I don't know if they heard the warning and thought that perhaps God's word isn't true. But God's word is true because the Bible says that his word does not come back void. It does not return to him void, but it will do exactly what it was sent to do. I don't know if they thought, you know, well, we'll just take, I'll just take a chance on it because I want what I want. Their desire was that strong that they seemed to ignore the facts of what the Lord was warning them of because they wanted what they want. And guess what? God told Samuel to listen to them and give them a king. He is granting their request. He is granting their request. And there will be times in our lives where we're going to want something and God that God doesn't want for us. He's going to send the warning. And if we continue to push past those warnings, eventually there's going to be certain situations where he's going to give us exactly what we asked for. And look at verse 18. Let's look back at verse 18. He says, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief. And this is the sad thing. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Such a sad thing. He's not going to provide them relief from the king that they chose. But one thing that he is going to do is God is faithful. Even in our stubbornness, even in our rebellion, he's, he's faithful. That's who God is. He's faithful. He's going to continue to be with Israel, even with this king that they have requested. He's going to continue as we continue through this um these chapters, as we move forward through these chapters, we're going to see that God will continue to be faithful. He loves Israel. And not only does he love Israel, he loves us. He's faithful to us. No matter how many stupid decisions we make, no matter how many times we mess up, God is faithful. He hears. He hears us in our suffering. God is faithful. He is so faithful that yet while we were sinners, he died for us. That's how faithful he is. Yet while we were sinners, while we were in sin, he died for us. While we were doing stupid stuff, while we are behaving badly, while we're operating in stuff that we ain't got no business doing, he died for us. That's how faithful he is. He died for us. He's faithful. He loves us. And not only did he die for us, but he, he rose on the third day and he's seated on the right hand of the Father. But let me share how, how faithful he is. He's not just going to stay there. He's not going to stay there. He's coming back again. Yes, for us, our raggedy selves. He's coming back again. He loves us. He loves us and he's coming back again. God is faithful even when we're not. He is still faithful. And we, we can't change anything about that because God, that's who God is. No matter how we reject him, no matter if we accept him as our king, no matter if we accept him as our God, no matter if we reject him, accept him, whatever we do, our decisions about him does not change who he is. God is God. He is Lord of Lord. He is King of King, Lord of Lord. He is our Savior. He is faithful. He is faithful. And so that concludes our Bible study for this evening. Thank you for tuning in. And I pray that you have a blessed rest of the week. And remember, God is faithful even when we're not. 
This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry.